0: Lord God, whether we have realized it yet or not this morning, we need to hear from you. We desperately need to hear and understand your word. So it's my prayer for this gathering of people that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh on this place. These individuals would have the ability to understand your word, to apply it to their lives. You'd minimize distractions and that we'd walk away a changed people. Lord God, I pray for myself, the words of the psalmist. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray these things in Christ's name, amen. Well, you've probably heard the not-so-great joke about our state that Michigan has two seasons, winter and construction, right, winter and construction, Well, we all know that's wrong. One of the great things about the Great Lakes State is that we enjoy all four seasons, and I hope you've been able to enjoy some of God's good creation this Independence Day weekend. But we have to admit, don't we, that if we've spent much time on the roads these last couple months, that construction zones and traffic delays abound this time of year. And with those traffic delays, delays and construction zones come signs. Lots of public notices, signage, especially along the interstate. You've seen them as you come into a construction zone. They read things like this. Construction zone, traffic fines double. And if that didn't get your attention, here's a more sobering one. Construction zone, injure or kill a worker? Fine, $7,500. Jail time, 15 years. These signs are public notices. They're for all the motorists to see, and they serve a couple purposes. First of all, they serve as a warning to most of us to slow down, right? Slow down, return to the speed limit, or you're going to pay. And they also serve as an encouragement. Slow down, return to the speed limit, and you, as well as all these hard-working construction workers, will be safe. So they're a warning to the law-breaking motorists, and they're an encouragement to those who choose the law-abiding Way. There's a sense in which our sermon text for today from Isaiah 45, if you want to turn there, Isaiah 45, today's sermon text is a public notice. But it's not a public notice from M.Dot, it's a public notice from God Himself. And as you turn to Isaiah 45, let's remember that when we hear God's Word read, or when we read it for ourselves, we ought to be reverent and attentive to it. It's an encouragement to bring your Bible week by week to gathered worship. Some of us have fallen out of the habit of doing that, but just bringing it sends a signal that I want to listen to God's word, and I want to make sure that the preacher up front is saying what God actually says. Or if you're here today and you're using technology to access the Bible on a phone or an e-reader or a tablet, one way to ensure reverence is to maybe use the do not disturb feature on your phone so that you're not distracted by notifications of an email or a call or a text message. I suppose you're exempt if you are waiting for a text message from children's ministry because your child is unruly. But otherwise, use your electronic device wisely so it actually helps you revere God's Word and doesn't distract you. And finally, if you're here today and you don't own a copy of the Bible, stop by the welcome desk on your way out. We'd love to give you a copy of God's Word so you can read it for yourself. This is God's Word. This is His public notice to all people from Isaiah 45 22 and following listen as i read turn excuse me turn to me and be saved all you ends of the earth for i am god and there is no other by myself i have sworn my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will swear. And they will say of me, In the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. But in the Lord, all the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and will exalt. This... Is God's simple but profound notice to all people everywhere turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth? I want us to take note of three things about this notice from the Lord. First of all, it's a universal notice, a command to all people everywhere for all of time. And we have to remember that in one sense, Isaiah the prophet is writing primarily to the people of Israel in the 700s B.C., and he's prophesying about events that will take place from his lifetime up into the 500s B.C. That is the primary audience. However, we should keep in mind that he also says, all you ends of the earth, turn to me and be saved. So while Israel in their day and age needed to turn from lifeless idols to trust in the Lord again because they had been influenced by the pagan nations around them, the Lord is calling all the ends of the earth, people from every nation, people from every tribe, from people every tongue and people to turn to him and be saved. It's a universal call. Think of it this way. If you're driving on I-69 or I-96 or 94 or 127, whatever you're driving this weekend, you are bound to the traffic rules of that road, whether you're a citizen of Michigan or not, whether you're a United States citizen or you're a foreigner visiting for the holiday weekend. Those rules are created by the people who make those rules. And so the Lord says, I am God. I've created you. There is no other God. And so everyone everywhere needs to turn to me and be saved. It's a universal notice. The second thing I'd like us to understand about this notice is not only is it universal, it's also very firm. It's a firm word, a command to repent what turn means to turn or repent which is to turn away from one thing by deliberately turning to another thing so you're changing directions you're shifting you could say allegiance from one thing to another and so he says turn to me it's like a warning when you're headed down a one-way exit ramp in the wrong direction. Turn around, turn around, turn around. Otherwise, you're doomed for a head-on collision. Here, the Lord says, turn, repent. As I said, at the most foundational level, the people of Israel who would have first heard these words would have known exactly what the Lord was calling them to turn from. They had fallen into the trap Of idolatry. In Isaiah's day, people would have crafted for themselves or purchased in the marketplace idols, little images made of wood or stone or precious metals that they could sit on a table or at a shrine or somewhere on a shelf in their home and they would literally bow down to these representatives of make-believe deities. They'd spend their time and energy and money on these things. But they weren't God. There's only one God, and there is no other. And so Isaiah is saying to Israel, turn from those things to me and be saved. It's kind of silly that they would devote that much time and energy and effort to these lifeless idols, isn't it? I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous that these created things could have so much value and be so precious to them. I mean, surely we sophisticated Westerners wouldn't fall into that sort of trap to to give ourselves to created things. Or would we? Might we be doing that even now without even recognizing it? Uh, For a moment, ask yourself some questions like these. To whom do you give your primary attention? Or to what do you give your primary allegiance? What calls the shots in your life? Where do you choose to spend your money? What do you do with your talents and your energy? What is really driving you in life? If you're like me, a few different things come to mind. People come to mind. Things come to mind. Hobbies, jobs, all these sort of things come to mind. Because if I'm honest with myself, sometimes these created things have crept into the place of the Creator. And as God is calling all of us everywhere to turn from those created things, however good and nice and enjoyable they might be, to give our primary attention, our primary allegiance to Him. He is God. There is no other. We need to purge ourselves of anything that has taken the place of God in our lives. Remember, God has the right to command all people everywhere to turn to him because he made us. He made us graciously as very good image bearers and yet we have given him up for created things. Romans 1 says that God has given us over to our sinful desires Our sinful desire to want created things rather than the Creator Himself. Is it any wonder that this world is as messed up as it is, as broken, as chaotic, as rebellious as it is? It shouldn't be. We've given up the Creator for created things. What would repentance look like in your life today? How would you know that you really turned from one thing to serve the living God? Well, I have three diagnostic questions that I like to ask myself to really test my own repentance. The first question is this. Have I changed my mind? In other words, in the course of living, have I come upon a mindset or a viewpoint that I have that is in direct contradiction to God's word. And if I come to the place where I'll say, God, you were right and I was wrong, and I changed my mind, I acknowledge that you're right and I'm not. Second question, have you had a change of heart? This cuts a little deeper than just the mind. And what I mean is, are you grieved by the fact that you have disobeyed your maker, the God of the universe. Not just because you got caught, but because you have let him down, failed him, rebelled against him. This might exhibit itself with some tears after you've said words that you wish you could take back. It might be evidenced in just that sick-to-your-stomach sort of feeling that you get when you watched something or clicked on something that you ought not to have looked at. What I'm saying is we express our heart with emotion, and if we've really turned, if we've really changed, there ought to be some grief exhibited for the ways we have harmed ourselves and disobeyed our Maker. Third question, have I had a change of will? In other words, am I committed to wholeheartedly trust the Lord from this day forward? Have I changed my allegiance? On this Independence Day weekend, hopefully you've been thinking a little bit about your allegiance to country. That'd be good and right. The Bible instructs us as citizens of kingdoms of this world, countries of this world, to pray for our leaders. Maybe you could be a better citizen by praying for our country. Believe me, we need God Almighty's help. You know that. Now, most of you in this room, I'm suspecting, are natural-born citizens, and so this allegiance is something you've developed to country over time. Maybe you've been helped along by civics classes in school or parades or the influence of the generation before you, but allegiance is something that you possess as a natural born citizen. Did you know that there is a way for a foreigner to become a citizen? And that is a process called naturalization. It's as if they were born here. The one different thing about the naturalization process is that they have to make an oath when they become a citizen. And this oath is a powerful picture of a shift in allegiance. Listen to these words. I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty, of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. It goes on to say later, I take this obligation freely, without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, so help me God. Powerful, isn't it? I turn from my birth country to give allegiance to the United States. If that's the seriousness of an oath of citizenship, how serious should our oath of repentance to turn to the Lord be? So it's a firm and universal notice. But I want you to also note that this is a gracious notice from the Lord himself. Though God has every right to punish us for our wayward idolatry, He offers us rescue. He offers salvation. He offers forgiveness. He offers life everlasting. If you were with us last Sunday, you remember Pastor Don preached from Psalm 103. You don't need to turn there now, but this picture of Our gracious God is captured so well in the words of Psalm 103. Listen to them again. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love For those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. It's reassuring, isn't it? All these images of compassion and grace and a good, loving Father, they abound in Psalm 103. But did you hear the phrase, those who fear Him? Those who fear Him, it appears three times in those 11 verses. You see, God's covenant love, His compassion, are only really realized and experienced by those who fear Him, which is just another way of saying those who have Turn to him, those who have trusted him, those who have repented, those who keep his covenant and those who remember to obey his precepts. In other words, repentance is not optional. You can't remain in your sinful ways. And obedience is really matters. Obedience is the fruit of our faith. Now, contrary to popular opinion, these words, this call to repentance, reminds us that God is not a universalist. In other words, not every person gets to heaven in the end. We know that because not everyone repents of their sin and turns to the Lord. Human history has proven that, right? But remember this. This is a gracious notice from the Lord. All those, but only those, who have habitually turned from sin and trusted the Lord will be saved, rescued. If we want to be rescued we must first repent. We must turn in order to be saved. And in our repentance, we will find a God who is filled with love and compassion and mercy. Now, although all people won't ultimately experience salvation, this text reminds us that all people will one day acknowledge the Lord As the only God and King. In fact, the Lord guarantees it in this passage. He follows his universal and firm and gracious notice with a divine guarantee. As one commentator puts it, people everywhere have been put on notice. One day they will all have to bow the knee to the Lord and confess the truth about him. Listen to verses 23 and 24 again. By myself I have sworn. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. The Lord here is making a promise. He's swearing to do something. He's guaranteeing that This will happen. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord, that he alone is right, that he alone is strong, that our counterfeit gods, our idols, can never measure up to his greatness. He's guaranteeing it, and he swears by himself to prove it. What does it mean to swear by something? Well, remember when you were a little kid and you wanted to prove that you were telling the truth or to assure others that you would keep your promise, you might say something like, I swear on my grandmother's grave that I'll do that. What you were saying when you used that phrase was that you were increasing your commitment to keep the promise. You were wanting your friend to know that you would be truthful because presumably your grandmother was valuable and precious and you wouldn't want to dishonor her by lying, right? Well, in the same way, but in an amped-up sort of way, the Lord swears by himself. Because if you think about it, if God is God and there is no other, there is nothing more precious, nothing more valuable, no one more trustworthy than the Lord himself. He always speaks with integrity, the text says. He always speaks a righteous word. His word is irrevocable. His word is bond, our God does what he says he will do. This book is a track record of his faithfulness. You can count on him over and over and over again. This phrase, by myself, I will swear, it's the same phrase the Lord used when speaking to Abraham about making the promise to him to be the father of many nations. Our God is a promise-keeping God, and he guarantees that all people every way will one day bow their knee and confess their tongue that he is righteous, he alone. Hopefully, if you're relatively familiar with the Bible or if you were listening earlier in the service when Pastor Randy read the scripture reading, this image of knees bowing and tongues confessing sounds a little familiar, right? Because the Apostle Paul quotes this text from Isaiah both in Romans 14 and most famously in Philippians 2, which Randy read. Remember that phrase? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you see? This prophecy of Isaiah, so long ago, is coming to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The suffering servant and the resurrected Lord. The only Lord who saves. We've come to the table today and we've been reminded that only because of the king's broken body and shed blood can sinners like us be saved. And here we see that there will come a day when everyone will acknowledge that Jesus alone is king. Now this might be a bit confusing at this point. Because at the beginning I said, God has offered a universal notice to all people to be saved. And then a couple minutes later I said, but he's not a universalist because all people don't get saved. And now I'm saying universally, everyone is gonna bow their knee to King Jesus. How can this be? Well, take note. Isaiah recognizes that there are two types of acknowledgement of Jesus' kingship. There are two ways that you can acknowledge that the Lord is God. The first type of people are described in the second half of verse 24. It says, all who have raged against him, that is the Lord, will come to him and be put to shame. These are the people who have raged against the Lord for all of their earthly lives. They have not turned. They have not repented. They have resisted the Lord's gracious invitation to be saved. And when they come to King Jesus on Judgment Day, they'll bow. They'll bow to be sure but they will bow in unrepentant shame. It's a sad picture. If you've been watching the news over the past couple weeks or been on the internet, you might have seen the grisly pictures of the convicted murderer and prison escapee, David Sweat, who spent the better part of last month with his now-dead partner-in-crime Richard Matt running from the New York State Police and from the National Guard. You see those pictures? David sweat, shot, bloodied, captured. His head is bowed, but it's bowed in shame to the lawful authorities. Now to my knowledge, he shows no remorse for his wicked ways, but now he can no longer deny that the government has won. They are right, they are strong, His life is pitiful, and his punishment is inevitable. In the same way, there will be many hardened, unrepentant sinners who have spent their lives raging against the Lord, incensed by his gracious word. And they will bow as conquered foes, too late for salvation, too late for rescue. You may not be a David Sweat or a Richard Matt or an Osama Bin Laden, but if you haven't yet wholeheartedly turned from sin and trusted Jesus, confessing that only by faith in his shed blood and his glorious resurrection do you deserve to be saved, you too are destined to bow in eternal shame. You might think of yourself as an upright citizen. You might be a religious churchgoer. Or maybe you're one of those proud, brazen rebels and you're here today only because somebody drug you along and you don't believe or pretend to believe. Whatever the case, if you haven't yet turned to the Lord, bowing in unrepentant shame is in your future, unless you turn Today, Because when you turn, when you turn to the Lord, you will not see a vindictive tyrant. You'll see a gracious king. A gracious king whose love for you far outseeds the affirmation that this world would want to give you in your sinfulness. No, this gracious king will call you out of Rebellion and call you to a better way, and lead you to a life of human flourishing here, and eternal life in the age to come. If you haven't yet turned to Jesus, will you turn to him today? Be saved. He's gracious and willing to forgive anyone who believes. There's a second type of people described in verse 25 a type of people who also bow. And these people will bow not in unrepentant shame, but in repentant glory when the Lord returns. They're described as descendants of Israel in the Lord, which is to say that they're distinguished from the merely ethnic Israel. Lots of people could trace their lineage to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob or Israel. But they haven't yet trusted, believed in the Lord. And so these are those of us who have been grafted into the promise of Abraham by faith in Jesus. Even if we were born Gentiles, we can taste and see that the Lord is good because of what he has done for us in Christ. So a descendant of Israel in the Lord you if you're a Christian here today. And I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that this message is an encouraging one for you. It's encouraging because it says that one day you will be found righteous and you will exult. You will exult in a glory not of your own making, but in one that was achieved for you by Jesus on the cross. You will exalt that he has been great and gracious and merciful and mighty to save you. And your life of imperfect but faithful allegiance to King Jesus will be vindicated on that day. Friends, many people will try to sell us. We're on the wrong side of history in this day and age. But I assure you, if you are in Christ, you are on the right side of the only One and true and rightful king. So continue to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Trust Jesus and obey him. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this notice from you. We're thankful for this reminder That all of the counterfeit gods, the created things that have crept into our lives, are no match for you and all your greatness, all your glory. Help us, Lord God, today, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, to turn from those things and turn to you and be saved. We want to be there on that day willingly joyfully praising King Jesus, the one who died for our sins and rose from the grave as the only Lord who saves. In his name we pray.